Welcome, everyone. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. We want to um, bless you as well. It's good to be together. Um, some of you, some of you may know, Jess and I were um, we're getting away for some rest after this with our family after today. So we're looking forward to that. Um, feel free to pray for us as we we hope and uh, plan to travel out west a little bit to see family. Uh, to see Jess's parents and her uh, youngest brothers getting married as well in September. So we're really excited to be able to go and to celebrate with the family. And um, yeah, just pray. We actually get to see Jean and Marla too, um, Lord willing. So uh, really looking forward to seeing Jean and them and, and seeing the work that God's doing with the Bible school that he's gone to be at. So uh, I'm praying that, that God is going to use that um, to further what he wants to do within Salt and Light. So I'm excited to see what God is wanting to do there through that school. And uh, if anyone has a tent um, and you would love to borrow it to us, we need a tent for when we're for part of our trip. Um, we would love to uh, to take your generosity um, while we're gone. So talk to Jess or I about that. Um, so we're in the midst of this series uh, that we've been uh, titled Presence, Formation, Witness. Um, and I want to just make a note. Um, we, we had it in the... Yeah, I had it in an email, um, but September 13th, when we're gone, um, Dwayne's going to be leading the service that day, and it's going to be an opportunity um, to share, uh, to have, to basically open it up to, to have anyone in the church who feels like they want to share about what God's been speaking them through this series um, over the last couple months, an opportunity for you to, to actually be part of that Sunday. So if you would like to share, you feel like God's giving you something, um, you know, check back through your notes sort of thing, and, and you know, what's the, what has the Lord been speaking to you in these last couple months um, through this? Then um, please get, it, get in touch with me like ASAP, like today, <laughs> and let me know um, so that we can coordinate that. All right, so we, as part of this series, we're in the midst of a focus on formation, um, talking about our intentional formation into the way of Jesus. And we've been talking about this sort of... Um, in the theme of fostering patterns of renewal in our lives, uh, seeking to abide with Jesus, growing in our relationship with Jesus, being healed, being set free, uh, and transformed by his presence in our lives. That, that Realizing that this is an intentional way of living, and we want to foster this in our lives, uh, just coming into the presence of God. Uh, again, being in the presence of the Father. And so, we've been looking at this being an apprentice or being a disciple uh, of Jesus, a, a Talmudin. And, and we've been looking at following and practicing the way of Jesus. What does that look like in our lives now? And, and one of the truths that we've been contemplating is that formation is happening in our lives, like all the time. Um, we are all being shaped and formed in our lives by what's happening. And the question is that we need to ask ourselves is, what am I being shaped or formed into? And so this morning we're going to talk about that um, and, and the title being, being fed, nourished, and being shaped by the Word of God. And so we want to talk about how we are shaped by the Word of God in our lives. Because every day, all you have to do, and I trust that you're doing this every day, is you wake up. 
Every day you wake up, and every day that you wake up, regardless of whether you do anything else, you are being formed and shaped as soon as you wake. And, and so uh, that being the case, that everything in our lives is forming and shaping us, if you give no thought to your apprenticeship to Jesus as you're living, as you're going about whatever your responsibilities, your job, your tasks, your family, if you are not giving intentional thought to your apprenticeship to Jesus, you are being formed into something else. And so two ways that we are all being formed, all of us. First is by the stories that we believe, meaning the narratives that we live by to make sense of the world. That all of us have, you, know, you want to call it a paradigm, but I think an easier way to understand it is stories. And, and so things of like how we believe this world came to be. Or what is the purpose of this world and where is it going? Big questions that you live out of those belief systems. Or what is my purpose on earth? What am I living for? Big questions like that, which we are living out of those belief systems every single day, the things that, that are being formed in us. And so we see this in our world all the time because we as a people are obsessed with stories. As, as, as a human race, we love stories. Why do we love the movies? Because we love stories. Why are we obsessed with mythology and literature and fantasy? Why, why is all that such so important in our world because the stories that we believe or don't believe shape how we think, how we feel, how we respond, how we believe. All of it is shaping and forming us. The second way that you're formed as all of us is by the habits we live into. Meaning, the principle in this is the things that we do do something to us. Everything that we do. I was thinking about this this morning as I was from the short drive from our house to the church. And like there's no one around. And I stop at the stop sign. And I put my flicker on. There's no one there. Why would I do that? Why would I come to the second stop sign? There's no one there. Why don't I just like blow through the stop sign? What does it matter? I mean, maybe, okay, maybe there's an RCMP officer lurking. And he's going to get me. And maybe that's why I stop. But maybe, I think more than anything, it's because I have been conditioned. I have a habitual way of driving. The habits that I've formed in driving, they have done something to me. They make me a law-abiding citizen. Why do I stop and turn on my flicker? Well, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I just do it. So, the, the other thing, that's, that's one thing about habits. The other thing is that habits shape our loves and our longings, meaning the principle is you are what you love. And the New Testament language about this is our heart, where the, where the New Testament talks about how the heart sets our orientation and the direction of our world. That's why Jesus says, love the, well, and not just Jesus, but before in the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your, what? Heart, right? It's like the, the love of your heart is at the very top. It's is the most important thing that's going to direct your life. Now think about this. As it, as it comes to media, online entertainment, Wi-Fi, I mean the world has shifted 
tremendously. And so everything, there's so many things that are just a click away, a swipe away, and it's right there in front of you. That never used to be. And that's doing a ton, like a ton to shape us. If you just start to think about what that is doing, informing us by how we're behaving, it's really important. So over the years, my love for coffee has grown and progressed. Like I was thinking about this. I, I, and I was like, where did it start? Like did it start with those late nights at Perkins where when I was like 20 years old, you could drink like eight cups of coffee for like probably a buck 25 and like I could drink eight cups and still sleep somehow. Maybe that was where it started. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't the coffee was probably not that great, but whatever. It was connected to fellowship, right? We hung out a lot there. And uh, remember like when they used to have like the the indoor smoking section there? (laughs) It was crazy, crazy world. Anyway, then I bought a coffee maker with its own grinder. I remember when we bought that when we were newly married. It was like we had our own grinder to grind our beans now. We could actually buy whole beans and grind them. It was phenomenal. And, and then that progressed eventually to this contraption called the French press. And I thought that was, that was amazing. And then I, then I got a sale. I got a good Mennonite deal. And I bought this vacuum, stovetop vacuum press. Some of you have seen it at my house. It looks like I'm cooking something else other than coffee on my stove. But, but that, that was like the next kind of my coffee journey. I love that thing. And now I've encountered the Chemex. And I don't think I'm ever going to encounter anything better than the Chemex. But along with the Chemex now, some of you know it's good. I'm now, I've, I've spent the money and I'm roasting my own beans. Like crazy. Like I buy these green beans and I mix them and I get all excited about the flavors and the roasting times and I keep a journal. Like it's gotten a little crazy and a lot of money. And you go... Why? Because I love coffee. That's, that's just the, the reason. I just really enjoy coffee. Now, I know that coffee isn't all that good for me. I know that. But it doesn't matter. Because I simply really like coffee. And so that trumps whatever information I know that it's not that good for me. You are what you love. John Mark Comer says this, The reality is what you love, which are particularly shaped by your habits, have far more impact on your life than what you know to be true in your head. You could probably tell just by, as I'm talking about coffee, you're like, that guy's a little obsessed with coffee. You can tell in a person what they love by even how they talk about it. Our habits shape our loves and our longings. Neuroscience has revealed fascinating truth in this area. It's really interesting. But what it points to is that habits, the habits in our lives, habitual ways of living have a massive impact on our hearts and our souls. Simply the things that we do do something to us. So I want to talk today about the habit of the Word of God in our lives because the habit of the Word of God is really, really important. How it feeds how it nourishes, how it shapes our minds, our hearts, and our souls. The Word of God being central in your life is part of the basic architecture of a life built around following 
the way of Jesus. It's got to be there right at the base. So I want to read, uh, I'm going to read three passages in a row uh, from John, and then we'll, we'll connect them a little bit here this morning. So first, John 1, verses 1 to 5. It'll be on the screen behind me, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll jump. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then jumping to verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, let's jump over to John 6, verse 47. We're going to read to verse 59. Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, I am the bread of life. Your father, fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. All right, one more passage. Jump to John 14, verse 21 to 26. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord... How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we'll, not, we'll, we'll connect these three a little bit just briefly yet. But, you know, I've, I've noticed over the years there's been a growing movement to separate Jesus and Scripture, specifically in the Western church. And, and there's this belief that's taken root that one can follow Jesus and yet you can question and minimize the importance of holding to Scripture as being the inspired and the inerrant Word of God. That somehow those things now have been 
separate. And, and so emotions, feelings, desires, they take precedence over what Scripture says. And this has been happening, and it's, it's growing. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves on that is, where does that lead? Because what's happening is we have now fit a Jesus that, that fits a lot easier into our progressive secular culture. And so there's this Jesus that's presented of, as a Jesus of love and grace that's very open to practices and to lifestyles that Scripture speaks of as sinful and leading to brokenness. And yet somehow we have created this Jesus that's all okay with that. And, and I'm following him and he's good with how I live. And, but talk about the word of God as the authority in our lives and the conversation becomes very different. And, and this belief of Jesus ignores his clear commitment to scripture that Jesus himself had in the gospels and key passages like this that we just read that reveal that Jesus was the very manifestation of God's word in the flesh. I was reading my Alpha devotional this week, and this was uh, one little thing that they said there. I thought this was really good. They said the early Christians came to see the Old Testament as essentially prophecy. The Old Testament is the prophetic witness to Jesus. The New Testament is the apostolic witness to Jesus. There is no equivalent today in terms of authority. That is that that belief. That's the understanding and the conviction that we, as the as a body here, want to hold to when it comes to the place of Scripture in our lives. That Scripture, the Word of God, what it says, has the ultimate authority when it comes to our lives, and and that the implication of that is that the conviction is that that's got to be central then to our lives. The Word of God has to have a place of central importance to us so this is the roadmap then for this morning and kind of what i want to do i want to i want to briefly look at the verses that we read um not not super in depth but briefly then i want to talk about a myth that we need to address in the church and the solution to it and then i want to lead and i want to end with some application for us this morning so i'm not i'm not digging in um the exegesis of these texts to the extent that we could and, and so, you know, you can go home and go away with what we read and, and really begin to maybe meditate and sit with that. But I want to quickly kind of just pull some things out. So John 1, those verses that we read there, that's a profound way to begin the gospel of John, the way that it's written there in the Greek. But it was very much culturally specific to Stoic Greek theology at the time. Because what John is saying there in the Greek is, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God, and the, Log or the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And so the belief of the day that John is operating within is that the Logos, that word in the Greek, spoke of the divine order of the cosmos as a whole. It was seen as the rational order of the universe, the Logos. And, and so what he said there at the beginning of John, Greeks reading that, they'd go, oh yeah, we're in agreement with that, actually. The Logos is kind of like a divine being. The Logos is God. They, they, and, and it would be sort of similar today in that 
where people would say, oh, yeah, I believe in a divine being. I, like there's, I have an abstract spirituality. I'm pulling from here. I'm pulling from there. And, and there's a creed over all things. We're, we're all good. But this is then where we get into the problem. And this is why we read verse 14. This is where the Greeks would have been like, whoa, 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 hold up for a moment. And people here today go, whoa, 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 whoa. And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. What John was claiming there to claim that the Logos was a mere mortal was just seen as sheer insanity, like utter sheer madness. Like you cannot be serious that you think the Logos came and dwelt among us and you've seen him? Like you're saying this guy, Jesus? And that's exactly what John's saying. And, and this is the claim here that we're making to this day is Jesus is the very manifestation of the divine and Jesus holds all truth. Full stop. In him is Everything. So that brings us to John 6. And sort of shocking descriptive imagery here used by Jesus. And we, we could spend a ton of time just on this text. Like we could have like a couple messages. We're not going to do that. We're not going to dig in that far. But there's a foundational truth here for following the way of Jesus. What Jesus is saying is we are fed and nourished by him. He's the living word. He is the word of God that feeds and nourishes our lives. It's through Jesus and through his words that we have eternal life. And we have to partake of him and his words for our spiritual life. And so he, he presents the picture, the contrast of the Israelites in the desert where God fed them manna. God made manna come down from heaven. And that sustained the Israelites physically. Without that manna, they were going to die the Israelites were in a really bad spot. And Jesus says, in the same way, I am the bread of life. In the same way that the Israelites needed the manna, you need me to nourish yourself spiritually because without me, you will die. So it's like, it's some pretty shocking claims that Jesus is making. You can imagine the Jews standing in front of him are like, seriously? It's a really shocking claim, what he is saying. The nourishment of Jesus, he says there, the word in our lives, the Jesus as the living word that comes with the promise that it will sustain you forever. Amazing. Okay, so then jump to John 14. And, and the context of what Jesus was saying there in John 14, he had just said it previously at the beginning of John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? We know those are... We know that well. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus is saying, it's, again, it's all through me. There is no other way. This is the shocking claim of following the way of Jesus. There is no other way to the Father. None. So, he's talking about this, and he's talking about, and he's saying these words amidst his impending departure. He knows that he's about to go. And so, it, it puts before us the question again of, how do I follow the way of Jesus as his apprentice? How do I do that? Well, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He's making the assumption that too, you know what they are. You know what my commandments are and you're going to obey them. You want to obey them. So 
Jesus came. Now, we have to remember, Jesus said this in the Gospels. He came to not abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. He came to fulfill the law. So he came to bring wholeness to everything that God had revealed. And so we see Jesus as this fulfillment of everything spoken throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And we see the rest of this in the New Testament as as God's revelation. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the Gospel, he said, I didn't receive this from any man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. He says that in Galatians. And so, this, what, it, what this sort of means for us is that as disciples, as apprentices of Jesus, our desire, our intention is to live in obedience to this new word. If you love me, you will obey me. You will, you will keep my words. We want to do that. We want to live in obedience to his way. We receive incredible promises. He says, like, if you do this, the Father and I, we're, we're going to come and we're going to make our home with you. Like, that's like the sweetest two-for-one deal you could ever get. Like, the best, right? And then he says, furthermore, the Holy Spirit is given to us. He says he's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit right now is the one who's bringing to our minds everything Jesus said. He's the one that's working in us. Reminds us, the first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is awareness of and connection to who? I said it last week. The, the Holy Spirit. That is the first and primary goal of connection to Jesus. Being connected, awareness of the Holy Spirit. So as it relates to apprenticeship and becoming more like Jesus, there's a myth that has taken hold in, I would say, wide swaths of the church over time. And that is this. All you really need to do is to know the Bible. Know the Bible. That's the ticket for transformation. Just be really, really, really aware of what the Bible says. So where did this kind of myth start? Well, there was this massive impact that happened with the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther basically put up his thesis on the Wittenberg door and that was the start of, of the Protestant movement and you know the, the whole division with the Catholic Church. But there was two major focuses that Martin Luther had. One was the preaching of the gospel. The second one was the sacraments, the, the taking of the bread and the wine together as the body of Christ. So those were his two big things. And then with the rise of evangelicalism in the West over time, really what's happened is that the importance of the sacraments has largely been dropped. That's another message. So I'm not going to get into that. But what we've been left with largely in evangelical circles is we center, we build our services around this. We build our services around about a 40-minute message and... You know, we, we, this block of preaching. And I'm not saying that's not important, right? But this is, this is sort of the, and, and then an even bigger influence on us in all of this, in the history of the church, has been the Enlightenment. Probably more so than you realize, because it, the Enlightenment shaped the thinking of the West. Descartes, he, his famous line, which is, drives the West, I think, therefore... Anyone? I am. So that's a huge shift that happened in the West. Uh, 
long time ago, but it's the belief that we are mainly thinking beings. You are brains, big brains on legs. That's it. It has shaped our world in education. It shaped our world in the church, how we approach things in the church. Right? So it's the cultural view is, just, just think about this, you just have to think something, you just have to know something, and then just go and do it. Right? Simple. You just got to know it. Get the information and then go do it. So scripture speaks of just love your enemies. Got to know that. Right? So just love your enemies. Okay? Don't be anxious. Right? Scripture says it clearly. You know, don't worry. Jesus said don't worry. Trust me. Okay? So read it. Know it. Are you good now? How's that working out for you? If you just know that, if you've memorized Matthew 6, 25 to 34 about not worrying, seeking first the kingdom of God, memorize it, you're good? You will never, ever, ever struggle with that ever again because you know it. That's what the theology, the philosophy of our culture will tell you. John 14 that we read there is the call to love God and obey his commandments. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Right after that, right? Peace I give you. So, just read it, know it, now you're good. You'll never struggle with not having peace again. Sounds simple. Except that we know that knowing something is not the same as doing something, and it's definitely not the same as wanting to do something. Doing something and wanting to do something are two very different worlds. We see this at work constantly in our lives. So what's, what's my point? Well, we, we can think of following Jesus, we, we, or we, we, we think that we can think our way to following Jesus and being like him, but we can't. But this has largely been and continues to be the approach to discipleship in the Western church. We see discipleship as an intellectual pursuit. I've been guilty of this, and I think my approach to this is definitely shifting. It's like, just get the right information into people. Just get them on the right track. Get you into the right programs. Download the information into you. Take, take hearing God, right? Just take hearing God. Just take a six-week course, and you're good. Except it's not. Because guess what the premise of all that is? You actually have to do something in order for it to do something in your life. So, and when I say intellectual, I'm, I'm, I'm not insinuating that this is only for smart people or who, what we, what, like whatever specific group we say, oh yeah, those are the intellectuals. I'm not saying that. Rather, what I'm saying is that we see discipleship in the West following the way of Jesus largely as information transfer. Get the right information into you. Get the right stuff into you. Get the right, get you in the right courses and you're good. But it's a false assumption that to believe that as your knowledge of the Bible goes up, that somehow your Christ-likeness, your ability to follow the way of Jesus, follows that same trajectory. Oh, I know all this, therefore I'm going to be just like Jesus. That's the goal, but that's a false assumption. It doesn't mean that it happens. 
just because you know John 6 and John 14, what we read really well, you can know those chapters like really well. It doesn't mean that you will operate with the peace that Jesus offers you. It doesn't mean that it will actually lead to transformation in your life. What is going to lead to growth and spiritual formation in our lives is being intentional when it comes to spiritual formation in us. Being intentional when it comes to forming habits in our lives because you are what you love. Habits in our lives that form us into the way of Jesus. And what we're doing as we're cultivating these habits in our lives, you know what we're also doing? It's counterformation to the ways of the world. You're forming yourself to be like Jesus. So two things crucial to spiritual formation that I want to talk about that in this. One is teaching, learning, understanding, growing to love and apply the word of God in our lives. Yes, coming together to learn the word is crucial in our apprenticeship to Jesus. We need this. We need to sit under the word. Because what we're doing actually is this is inviting us into God's story. Right now, we're being invited into God's story together. It's shaping how we see and how we respond to the world. It's giving us a biblical worldview out of which to live out of. It's interesting. When you look at the Gospels, Jesus, more than not, he didn't come and just download a list of commands to us. Like, look, listen, I'm Jesus. Uh, I'm the Son of God. I'm on the scene. All the prophetic stuff in the Old Testament, yeah, it was about me. Look at me. And uh, by the way, now here's the list of what you've got to do to follow God. Got it? You know it? Good. No, no. What did he do? He came and he told stories. And you know what he was doing as he told stories? And as he healed people and did all that and loved people, you know what he was doing? Saying, this is how the world works. I'm just showing you how the world works. This is the reality of how the world is. So, simply coming to church most Sundays is not enough. Yes, it is crucial to following and essential to following Jesus. Obviously. I, I, like, I, can't, I can't imagine a world of discipleship to Jesus without the body around us. Like, can you? That's, that's crazy. I can't believe that. I can't, like, I can't think of that. But this alone will not be enough to keep you from being conformed to this world, but rather being transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, just this, isn't going to be enough. We have to be constantly fed, nourished, and being shaped by the Word of God in our lives. So, you know, I had this conversation with a friend of mine uh, this week, and it was really interesting because he said, you know, He's, he's not in, in, in ministry, you know, positional level. He said, I, like, I don't actually have to wait anymore for the Sunday sermon. I don't actually have to wait anymore to come on Sunday and get my sermon. He's like, there's, there's podcasts galore. You know, you cherry pick whatever you want, what, whatever you like. Um, can be really good, right? I do that. I listen to, like, a ton of podcasts now, like, more than I ever have. And I, like, it's, it's doing good things in me. It's, it, God is speaking to me through these things. But it can also lead to disconnection from the body because it's consumerism without connection. Like, and part of the comment 
that this person was making is sort of like insinuating, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's like the, all that important that I actually am that connected to the body anymore. And I'm like, whoa, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But that's right now what's going on right now. The question is arising in many people. Why bother with the local church? Because guaranteed, there's a lot better options out there than me. I guarantee you that. You go search Apple Podcasts, you will find a ton of preachers that are better than me. And you're like, I like that guy better than Paul. I've listened to Paul for a long time. I'm kind of getting tired of him. Yeah, you will find that. But here's the thing. This is, and this is the other thing that my friend said. And I thought this was really interesting. He said, in a local body, you do want to be trusting that your pastor is specifically seeking God for that body and hearing God for right now, what's going on here? And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so we need life on life community. We really do. That's another initiative. That's coming. That's, that's, I, I'm, I'm, that's going to come yet. But second thing crucial to spiritual formation, a life of practice. Again, the things we do, do something to us. That can be really bad or good news. It's really great news, though, when it pertains to Jesus and spiritual disciplines. Think about that. If you are committing to spiritual disciplines in your life and the things that you do do something to you, this is great news. Why? Because our habits in this regard actually have the ability to recalibrate your loves and your longings over time. That's amazing news. You will be growing more and more and more to become like Jesus through your habits. So making time, please hear me in this, making time to be in Scripture daily is absolutely essential when it comes to being an apprentice of Jesus. Daily. Make it a habit. It's not ultimately about acquiring knowledge. It's about changing your loves and your longings over the course of your lifetime. You're changing who you are. It's about seeking transformation. All right, so here's what I want to, I want to conclude this morning by, I want to shift into some application for us. I think that this can have the ability to be incredibly impacting for us, and I, I'm excited about this. So um, what I'm going to kind of talk about here, you can probably find it in various places under various names and, and models, maybe slightly different terminology. I'm getting this model from a book that I just recently went through and really, really enjoyed. And I remember reading this, I'm like, oh, I got to do, when we talk about the word, I got I to gotta talk about this. Um, last week, we started, the application was silence and solitude, right? Ten minutes a day, we encourage you to do silence and solitude. How'd that go? Hope it went well. Uh, if you're like, ah, it didn't go so well, you got a new week. Starts tomorrow. Just, just start to do it again tomorrow. And if you're like, yeah, I did it, it was awesome, consider doing 15 minutes now. Like, it's amazing. You know, I, there's, uh, there's this book I'm going to read yet. I'm showing Diane, actually. I'm going to read a book uh, when I'm on vacation on how God changes our brains and all around neuroscience. And you know, one of the things they, they talk about in there is, and I'm, I'm really excited to read it, they said that silence and solitude, meditation with God, actually, like even they say 12 minutes a day of that. So, tw- so not 10, 12. I don't know why 12. I'll find out. They say it actually has the ability to slow down the aging process. Yes, right? There's your motivation. Silence and solitude. This week, 
I want to I talk, though, about, I want to bring something else. I want to talk about the application of the contemplative reading of Scripture in our lives. Inviting Scripture to feed, to nourish, to shape our lives. So, this is, when we, when we approach Scripture with contemplative reading, this is not about competency in the Word. It's about humility. Instead of reading the text, we're actually being read by the text. Just think about that. When we come to Scripture in this, the goal is not amassing knowledge, like I'm just taking all this in, but it's actually the goal is a reinterpretation of our story. We are longing to encounter God's truth. And so in the practice of this contemplative reading of Scripture, we, we know that God's truth is the path to the truest reality. So that's the base that we're starting from. This is where we want to live. It's in seeing the word and truth made flesh in Jesus that we grow in our capacity for this deep relational intimacy with God. We come to this place through scripture. So I have a chart that uh, uh, Shana is going to put up here that shows the difference actually in how you can approach scripture. This is really, uh, for me, especially as uh, pastor, I found this really helpful, right? Like you can come to it from a factual perspective, like you're gathering information, propositions learned, you're knowing the truth about God, theological, you're coming to it for inspiration, right? Promises believed, exploring the revelation of God. You come to scripture like in a devotional sense, like the motivation of it, principles embodied, living the life of God. But contemplative is different. It's another way of where we're seeking transformation presence encountered and we're enjoying the person of God. We're just enjoying God for who he is. And I, I think like for me like the theological devotional side, that's probably I think for every pastor that's the biggest struggle because you're like the, the uh, you, you, you feel like this this inclination to come to the text and I'm like oh there's a message. Oh there's a message. Oh there's, a, there's something. It's like Paul, stop. Stop. Just read it to encounter God. Right? So I want to I end by sharing four parts of this contemplative reading, sort of giving you a roadmap for how you do this. And then I want to provide you with some scriptures to go away with this week that you can use for application. So number one, you start with the actual reading of scripture. Right? Whoa. Groundbreaking. You actually open your Bible and you read scripture. But you start with prayer. Start with prayer, asking God to be present to you by the Holy Spirit and in Scripture. And then read a short selection of Scripture, not a lot, not a ton. Because again, then it just gets overwhelming. But take a, a short selection, and, and the ones I'll give you are, are shorter. Read it slowly, repeatedly, and hear the end out loud. I was doing this this week. You know how reading scripture to yourself out loud, how it changes things? It actually is different than reading it in your head. You actually see things and you, and you, you, things pop out at you differently when you're reading it out loud. Read it four to five times. And as you're doing this, listen with an open heart what God is saying to you. Number two then is after reading, you reflect on what you read. You meditate on it responding to what's going on inside of me pay attention to what's rising in your soul like what memories are being triggered by what god is speaking to you and what you've read 
And it's crucial in this to sit with whatever is coming up in you, allowing yourself to feel it. And, and as you're doing this, ask yourself, how is this, how does this impact my relationship with God and others? Third, and by if you want these slides after, I can get them to you. But people like, I, if you want these slides, I can certainly send them to you. Number three is responding. Now, in responding, I'm not talking about like, it's not a matter of deciding to do something once you're done. Like, oh, once I'm done, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. No, no. This is rather responding by praying for clarity and illumination of what's stirring inside of you. And, and be to interpret what we're feeling by God's love and his purpose for us. And so you've got to resist the temptation. And man, like I, when I thought, when I was thinking of this, I'm like, I, I do this. Like where you quickly, you have this temptation to quickly resolve what you're feeling by judging, blaming, or withdrawing. Think about that. Like where you start to, well, you, you blame a situation, you blame a person, and it's like, and that's how you resolve what you're feeling. But you've got to sit with it and allow God to speak to you. God is the one who works transformation. So that's the third one. The fourth one is resting, where there's this willingness to embrace God's invitation in light of how God's story affects your story. And, and this is where, you know, it's hard to describe this, the resting part, but it's where you're, you're, the communion you're having with God, there's no words that are needed. You're just, you're resting in the presence of God. It's less intellectual reasoning and it's greater awareness of our longing to be loved. Like I have a real longing to be loved by God and to love and, and staying in that. And this is where, in this resting, this is where God deals with our false self, with our temptation to autonomy, to self-sufficiency, and, and control. And rather, we give way in this resting to the presence of God. All right. There's a lot more that could be said on that. Um, I recognize that. I hope that's helpful. Um, if you need anything from me, feel free to talk to me after, and I'd love to chat about that further but i i have experienced that the contemplative reading of scripture like that does something very different in our lives as opposed to reading it for information or for theological perspectives not that we shouldn't do that at times all right and i want to so i want to end by giving you some scriptures so this is the application so five scriptures for five days uh, if you want to, if you want to read these, and I would encourage you read these scriptures and follow those steps and allow God to speak to you this week. So uh, they'll be up there right away. I think there we go. Yeah. So a mixture: some Psalms, some New Testament, and some Gospel, Gospels stuff that Jesus said. I think that's that's helpful. Let's pray. Father, I I want to thank you for your word that as the psalmist says, that your word is a light into our path, that your light is the thing that illuminates where we're going and shows us where we need to go. It's the thing that guides and directs us, Father. Father, I can't imagine living a life without connection and abiding in your word. I, I don't want to imagine that. So we're, we're so thankful, God, for the authority of your word.
Lord, we're so thankful for the way that it sustains us, that it feeds us, it nourishes us, and it shapes us. We, we believe that to be true. And so, God, we're asking that this week, that as we seek to follow the way of Jesus, that you would be shaping us by your word, and you'd be revealing things to us, and you'd be doing a good work inside of us this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name.